<laughs> oh, turn it up. Here we go. Up here with your crew, winning all some view. Everything that love stack right in front of you. Got your icon pass, powder slashing. 50 plus destinations. Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow. From just $2.59 adult, everyone knows you get the best price in the spring. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Okay, done. So pass the good stuff. Yeah, it's the good stuff. Welcome to Brewing Theology. I'm your host, Tier Hardy. Each episode of Brewing Theology is an opportunity to consider practical ways to begin brewing or to continue brewing a faithful life using theology and practices for real-life Christians. If it's complicated, I'll do my best to explain it. And if it does not work for real people, then we simply won't talk about it. Now, let's brew a life of faith together. Pastor Mac just told me to break a leg. What he doesn't realize is that if that happens, he has to preach this sermon. Our sermon series for the spring and the summer will explore common Christian sayings that are misquoted, misinterpreted, and contrary to the teachings and ministry of Jesus. For the preacher... While seeming like a playful sermon series, the task of answering why and what's next in exploring these sayings will prove to be a difficult task. Because each of these sayings that said Jesus never, each of these sayings are accompanied by my lived experience and your lived experience with the saying. Meaning... That when I say, love the sinner, hate the sin, said Jesus never, in your mind you immediately go back to the last time you said that or to the last time you heard someone say it. This past Wednesday and Thursday I found myself at the National Christian Church. It's in D.C., and I was there to attend the Festival of Homiletics. No, it's not a nerd convention. The Festival of Homiletics is a preaching festival that highlights some of the greatest preachers from the United States. And I know you're wondering, no, I was not invited to preach. As I sat there on the hard wooden pews, just like you all do week in and week out, I thought to myself, let me see what these preachers think of when they hear, love the sinner, hate the sin. Most of you can probably guess what every response was. Among the preachers I polled, 100% of them said the same thing. I thought, well, of course, a bunch of nerds listening to sermons for fun are going to say the same thing. So I asked the baristas at three different coffee shops in D.C., one in Arlington, and again, a 100% response rate. The same response given by the nerdy preachers. I asked three more people on the Silver Line train that I rode from McPherson Square to Boston, and again, the same response. And so then I went to the greatest philosopher I know, Spud. He's my barber. I asked Spud what he thought of. And again, 
the same thing as the nerdy preachers. I love the sinner, but I hate that they love someone I think they shouldn't. They can do sin X, Y, and Z, but who they love is something that I cannot and something that I will not tolerate. So there's the predicament that the preacher finds himself in this morning. How do I preach on love the sinner, hate the sin, said Jesus never, when your mind has already jumped out of this place and gone back in time? Jesus and his encounter with the woman caught in adultery should be retitled the time the scribes and Pharisees tried to trap Jesus. This scene from the Gospel of John is the only time that John records the scribes and Pharisees being together. It seems redundant to put these two groups of people together because they both favored intense study of and adherence to the law, the Torah, the 613 mitzvah Jews were required to follow. These commandments, along with the Pharisees' interpretation, dictated and ordered the day-to-day activities, the day-to-day life of Israel. The scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus to force him, to force him to condemn her, which, according to the law, means that she would be put to death. Or to force Jesus to incorrectly interpret the law, thus showing that he was a false teacher. As I read this story throughout the week, and again hearing it read this morning, I could not help but shout in my mind, Look out, Jesus, it's a trap. It's a trap because either way Jesus responds, he's in trouble. If he sides with the scribes and the Pharisees, he will have sentenced a woman to death, which would run contrary to the whole mercy and love thing that he's been preaching about. But if he ignores her sin, he will be labeled and portrayed as a false teacher. It's a trap. It's a trap. You know, love the sinner, hate the sin or anything close to it. It's found nowhere in the Bible. I looked. And if you don't believe me, there's a copy sitting in front of you. I invite you to take a look. If you dig through the Old Testament, you will not find it. Jesus never said it or anything close to it. And Paul, crazy Paul, never wrote it. The saying is thought to have originated with a 5th century bishop who wrote love for mankind and hatred of sin. Someone you're probably more familiar with wrote something similar. Mahatma Gandhi wrote, hate the sin and not the sinner. We like to stop there, but Gandhi continued. Hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept, though easy enough to understand, is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads through the world. Gandhi was not in any way advocating that we love the sinner and hate the sin. Instead, he was saying that it's hard, it is impossible to hate someone's sin without then harming the one you view as sinning. 
Love the sinner, hate the sin is how we choose to respond when we find out someone is living their life in a way that does not align with the orthodox view that we have created. The orthodox view that we've created on how we think they should be living their lives. United Methodist pastor Adam Hamilton calls love the sinner, hate the sin the most commonly used Christian half-truth. I hate you, but I hate. I love you, but I hate that you cheated on your taxes. I love you, but I hate that you cheated on your spouse. I love you, but I hate that you do not pay your employees a living wage. I love you, but I hate that you do not keep the Sabbath. The scribes and the Pharisees, along with Jesus and this woman, it's a story of trials. The trial, though, from the very beginning was a ruse. This was an occasion where this woman's entire life was distilled down to one event. It's a trap that we fall into as well. Because like the scribes and the Pharisees, we, religious leaders like Mac and I, we use this woman as a prop to make a theological point. In their attempt to trap Jesus by shaming this woman and subjecting her to possible death, the scribes and the Pharisees show their own guilt and shame. Their true agenda is shown when the adulterous woman's partner, someone required by the law to be put on trial as well, was not brought forward. Which leads us to think, was one of the scribes or the Pharisees the one who set this woman up? We could do a whole sermon just on that by itself. The scribes and the Pharisees reveal their own moral hypocrisy as well, as their inability to interpret, their unwillingness to interpret, or their lack of understanding of the law is made known. The scribes and the Pharisees missed all of this because they were blinded by hatred and rage for Jesus. As focus was redirected from the woman to the scribes and the Pharisees, as Jesus said, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The shame of sin covering those who set the trap for Jesus, as as well as their inability to interpret the law, was made known. Made known as the crowd began to slowly disperse, beginning with the elders, the wisest of the community. When we say, love the sinner, hate the sin... We start with love the sinner. And love the sinner, that's a redundant statement. Of course we love the sinner. But love the sinner, hate the sin is a loaded statement. It is full of judgment that we hold in our hand. We grip it until our knuckles turn white, waiting for permission from the scribes and Pharisees to throw it. Love was a critical part of Jesus' ministry, so much that it makes up the two commandments, the only two rules that Jesus gave to his disciples. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor like yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus did not tell his disciples to love the sinner just because it's a redundant statement, but because he knew that to love the sinner leads to judgment and self-righteousness. Our human tendency is to judge one another. For better or worse, we judge one another on a regular basis. On Sunday mornings, regardless of how welcoming we like to think we are, we judge people by what they wear to church. We judge parents by how quiet or by how loud their children are in church. And it doesn't matter if you are upstairs in traditional worship or downstairs in the way. We judge who loves who, seeking only to gain moral high ground. We focus on what we say sin is all the while, ignoring the log stuck in our own eye. Our focus on their sin blinds us just as it did the scribes and the Pharisees, revealing our own guilt and shame instead of redirecting attention to someone else or to an entire group of people. I love you, but I don't like this or understand it, so you need to stop. I love them, but they need to. Love the sinner, hate the sin, provides us with what we think is a shield to protect ourselves from what we view as sin. But this half-truth places our own self-righteousness on full display. I said that our reading this morning was a story of trials, but this story also becomes our story whenever we act out of hatred and rage instead of love and mercy. It becomes our story whenever we are more interested in proving someone else wrong, when instead Jesus calls us to live righteously with abounding love. This story becomes our story every time we choose to judge prematurely, harshly, or both. Saying that we hate sin, I think we could all say that's redundant also. I hate that every morning people don't allow my child to safely cross 16th Street to get to school. I hate that people die daily to a lack of clean drinking water and that children die daily from preventable diseases. I hate that every week, 23 times this year, we have been reminded that the safest place in our communities aren't so safe. And I hate that we haven't done anything about it. I hate that the Bible is used to abuse, exclude, and marginalize people of color, LGBT persons, and women. I hate it, and I know that you do too, so to say hate the sin... It's redundant. In the redundancy of love the sinner, hate the sin, we overlook that Jesus calls us, each and every one of us, without exception, to love. The redundancy of love the sinner, hate the sin, blinds us to the role of God in all of life as we try, as we try to assume agency 
from the divine. It is God who judges, not us, especially not religious leaders like me. Jesus did not let the adulterous woman off the hook. In showing mercy and forgiveness, Jesus also showed that holiness matters. As he acknowledged her past, he forgave her, then he told her to go and sin no more, inviting her to step into grace. All of us will deviate from God's path. All of us have deviated from God's path. It doesn't matter how many times you've sat in the same seat or if this is your first time here this morning. All of us will overlook, all of us will ignore, and all of us will purposefully choose not to love one another as God loves us. Instead of love the sinner, hate the sin, we are invited to drop the stones to put them back down on the ground and to step into grace. This allows us to love them despite who we, not they, are. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Brewing Theology with Tear Hardy. If you like the podcast, I invite you to head over to iTunes where you can leave me a review or you can subscribe to the podcast. Also, head over to my blog, www.tearhardy.com. There you can sign up for my weekly wrap-up where I send you a curated accounting for this week's happening on the internet. Blog posts, sermons, and other podcasts that I think could help you in brewing your life of faith. Grace and peace. Peace.